less interesting than television. His commands less authoritative than their appetites for affluence and influence. His judgments no more awe-inspiring than the evening news. His truth less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery and lies. That is weightlessness. Dr. Wells argues, convincingly I might add, that part of the reason for the weightlessness of God is that we have, as he called it, caged God. We have taken the sovereign God of the universe and have tamed him. And there are several characteristics of this tamed God. First, that he is a God who exists to meet our needs instead of our existing to serve him. Now think about how people feel who profess to believe in God and see him as the sovereign, how few people who profess to believe in God see him as the sovereign ruler of the universe to whom we must surrender the rights to everything, even our very lives. A second characteristic of this tame God is that he is a God who can become indebted to us instead of the holy God to whom we have all sinned. And his very and his every act of kindness toward us is mercy and grace, but never ever merit. We see this in those who turn against God during the hard times of their lives because in their minds God has failed them. They have kept their end of the bargain and therefore God is indebted to them and owes them a life that is basically free of trials and hardships. A final characteristic of this tamed God is that He exists to help us in our time of need but make no inconvenient demands on our lives. This is most clearly seen in those who take no thought of God during the good times of their lives, but become very devoted to Him when things get hard. Now this would be great, but often, because God does send hard times in our life to turn us back to Him, except their devotion to God lasts only as long as the hard times go. And once the hard time is passed, they once again go back to taking no thought to God. Now the sad fact is, these sorts of views are almost as common in the church as they are outside of the church. Many within the church today live as one pastor calls Christian atheists. Now a Christian atheist is someone who professes to believe in God, but lives as though God does not exist. This doesn't necessarily mean that they leave this doesn't necessarily mean that they live wicked, sinful lives. It can, but it doesn't have to. It simply means that God and His will and His want for them, it bears no weight on their lives. There is virtually nothing in their lives that is guided by God's will and God's want for their lives. They never really focus on living every aspect of their lives for the glory of God. For these people, the Bible is seen as the inspired word of God that is to be esteemed highly. Most often they'll treat their Bibles with the utmost respect, and they'll even keep it in a place of honor at their homes. But despite the way they profess to view the Bible, they rarely read it and seldom obey it. With their mouths they profess to believe the Bible, but with their lives they demonstrate that it bears no weight on their lives. Their attitude towards the Bible is simply an extension of their attitude towards God and Jesus Christ. So what kind of weight should the Bible bear on our lives? That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to the book of Amos, chapter 2, verse 4, page 900, or I'm sorry, 693 in the Pew Bibles. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Amos, chapter 2, verse 4. For three transgressions of Judah, and for four... I will not turn away its punishment, because they have despised the law of the Lord, have not kept His commandments. Their lies have led them astray, lives, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. 
title of the message this morning is My Commitment to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our devotion. You are worthy of our love and you are worthy of our giving our lives to you. Father, we do not want to live as Christian atheists. We do not want to live as a people to whom you are weightless. We want your word to be the authority in our lives. We want Jesus to be Lord over our lives in every area of our lives. So we come this morning and we seek to study your word to learn how we should treat your word, how we should respond to your word, how we should live because of your word. And we ask you right now to to help us. Help us lay aside the cares of life that we may have brought in so that we would not be distracted. Help us to lay aside preconceived ideas of what might or might not be right so that we can receive what your word says. Help us to lay aside our pride. Help us to lay aside our selfishness. Help us to lay aside our self-idolatry that is so prevalent in our lives. Help us to listen to your word. Help us to be surrendered to your spirit. Help us, Father, to be changed and be the people that you want us to be. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words and your ways that you would be glorified. We ask all of these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Revelation. This last week, we were in Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10, and we saw the rise of the Antichrist. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, or if you've been a part of our study, you know that when the Antichrist comes upon the scene, one of the things that happens is the people begin to follow after him completely. They, they listen to what he has to say, they, they're enthralled by him, and they in fact begin to worship him as though he were God. And this is a part of prophecy. Um, Paul said about him, said the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all signs and lying wonders and unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You know, the claims of the Antichrist are pretty amazing that he's going to claim to be God and all of these things. And you wonder, how would people believe that? Well, Thessalonians gives us the answer to that. He's going to come one with power and lying wonders from Satan, but it's going to work on those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth they might be saved. See, they had... These are people that have they've heard the truth, but they've rejected the truth. Because they've rejected the truth about Jesus, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are ripe for a satanic deception. Now, that to me, it weighs heavily on me. Right? Because you think about it. What we learn from this is that the, when people reject the truth about Jesus, when they reject the truth of the gospel, they open themselves up to be deceived by Satan. Now think about in, in our lives. Chances are we all know people who believe odd things, right? I mean, we would say about them, probably not to them, but we would say about them that what they believe is as goofy as the day is long. When we hear them explain to us what they believe and why they believe it, it's like we're hearing something straight from Bizarro World. It's just like, wow, that you, you really, really can't believe that, can you? But they do. They're fully convinced that this is truth. And we wonder, how on earth could someone... In this day and age, someone who has a Bible, someone who, whatever, how could they believe something so outright strange? Well, there's the answer. They have rejected the truth about Jesus, they have rejected the truth of the gospel, and they are therefore just right for Satan to come along and deceive them to believe something other than the truth. And this is, I mean, what this tells us is, how we hear, 
and how we respond to God's Word. It's pretty significant. It, it, is, it is important. It is not just a matter of, I come to church, I check my box, I go home. I read my Bible, I check my box, I lay it aside. How I read it, how I hear it, how I respond to it, it, it matters immensely. And I thought about that all week. Studied the message out, I had that ready, thought about it as I prepared it. I was just on my mind. And that's all I could think about was this idea of being deceived and how we respond. And, and then yesterday in my daily Bible reading, I came to this passage in Amos. And it just, it was something that, it just kind of exploded in my mind. And I knew what I was going to have to preach today was not what I had planned to preach. And, and what we see, and what we've got to understand, is the way we respond to God's Word, the way we respond to Scripture, it says an awful lot about our commitment to Jesus Christ. And really, I would say the main thought you need to understand today is this. My response to Scripture demonstrates my commitment to Christ. My response to Scripture demonstrates my commitment to Christ. Now, we might want to push back against that. Oh, come on now, you can't really mean that that my response or my lack of response to the Bible, that says anything about my commitment to Jesus Christ. I love Him. He is Lord. He is Savior. But, I don't think there's any way to take Scripture seriously without accepting the truth of that statement. Right? One of the things we learn in the Bible is that Scripture is the Word of God. Therefore, whatever Scripture says is what God says. If we want to know Jesus' opinion on anything, we look in the Bible, and the Bible tells us absolutely His view on all things. Whatever Scripture affirms, Jesus affirms. It is His Word to us. And we cannot reject Scripture and embrace Christ. They go together. You say, well, hold on, but, but that's what we see here. Look at what he says. Now, these people... That, that Amos is writing to here, that God is speaking to in chapter 2. Right, notice that in this place he is talking to Judah. Right, these are not pagans of Damascus. These are not the pagans in the other places that he's talking about. These are the people of God. These are people that are trained from the earliest parts of their childhood to know the law, to obey the law, to worship God, to offer sacrifices. If you were to ask these people, who is your God, they would say Yahweh. If you were to ask these people, do you believe the law to be the word of God, they would say yes. If you were to ask them, are you committed to Yahweh, they would say absolutely. If you were to ask them, are you committed to God's word, they would say most definitely it is the word of God, we must obey it. And despite what they said with their mouths, that is not what they lived with their lives. Look at what it says. God is going to punish them because they despise the law of the Lord. Now, again, these people, if you had asked them, do you despise God's word? No. No way I despise God's word. I love God's word. I love the law. Right? They could quote Psalm 119 and tell you that they love the law. It is their meditation all of the day. But God says to them, you have despised my word. How had they despised it? And not kept my commandments. See, that's how they had despised God's word. They had, they had not kept his commandments. God had said, do this, but they did something else. God had said, don't do this, but they did it anyway. And then by disobeying God's word, they had despised his commandments. Now, not only did they do that, but they had lied to themselves about it. 
They had lied to themselves to tell them that it was okay. Things are different now. The world is different today. Surely Moses couldn't have foreseen the world in which we live in at this time. We've made so many scientific advances that there is no way that, that, God, that Moses could have foreseen all that we're going through right now. And they began to lie to themselves and to justify their disobedience. And they continued to despise God's word and it led them astray. It led them away from God. They, despised, they, they disobeyed God's word. And in doing so, they despised God's word. And in doing this, they departed from the Lord. And they would suffer the judgment of the wicked. That's a pretty serious thought. And we've got to understand... I cannot reject God's word and walk closely with Christ at the same time. Let me show you this again. Turn forward to to, uh, Amos 3 and look at verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? That's a pretty common thing, right? If I say you need to go north to get to liberal, and you say you have to go south to get to liberal, we're not going to walk together if we're both going to liberal, are we? No, we're, we're going to go in opposite directions. In the same way, again, he's talking to the children of Israel here, so he's talking to his people. They're saying we're walking with God. And God's saying, no, you're not. I have said, do this, and you're not doing it. I have said, don't do this, and you're doing it. You are not walking with me. But I cannot, cannot Reject God's word and walk with Jesus at the same time. Jesus has spoken, right? He has said, do this and don't do that. And, and, the only, and he's not going to change his mind, right? He's not going to change his standards. He's not going to change his convictions. He's not going to change what's right. He's not going to change what's wrong. So if he and I are at odds and we're disagreeing, then the only one who's going to change in order that we can walk together is me, I have to be the one to change so that I can walk with Jesus. In order to change, guess what I have to do? I have to embrace His Word. I have to obey His Word. I have to stop lying to myself and deceiving myself and do what His Word says. My response to Scripture demonstrates my commitment to Christ. It demonstrates whether or not I want to walk with Jesus or I want to walk by myself and say I'm walking with Jesus. So how do we respond in a way that demonstrates our commitment to Christ. I think there are three ways. Number one, test all things against Scripture. Test all things against Scripture. Do you know that the Bible says we are to actually do that? It is a, a foolish thing for us to just blindly believe what anyone says about Scripture. We are commanded, look at this, test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Our our job as disciples of Jesus Christ is not to blindly go along with, with anyone. It is to study what is taught and compare it against Scripture. This is a a critical thing for us to do. Someone told me once, she said, I don't like to study the Bible for myself. I want the preacher to just tell me what it means and how I need to live because of it. And I think she was meaning to, to be good 
for me, right? Because I'm the preacher. I'm the one that would be telling her what it means and how to live. I was horrified. That was one of the most horrifying statements I have ever heard in my life. That's, that's how cults get started. I mean, one of the identifying marks of a cult that has people drinking Kool-Aid and dying is that the leader speaks with God-like authority and no one can ever disagree with what he says. Never go along with that. Never, ever go along with that. Instead, test all things against Scripture. But here's the thing about that. That's hard. Right? Do you know what's easy to do? Just believe everybody's okay. Whatever they said, I'm sure that was right. Every book I read in the Christian bookstore, I'm sure that's, I'm sure it's true. Every guy on TV, every person on the radio, I'm sure they're just preaching Jesus and love Jesus and it's all true. I'm sure what the pastor said is, is exactly right. It's easy to be lazy and do that. It really is. It requires effort to test all things against Scripture to see if it's actually true. It's easy to say, huh, that sounds challenging. I don't believe like that. Nope, I'm sorry, that's just not how I believe about things. It's easy to automatically dismiss out of hand anything I don't like, anything that is different to me, anything that is challenging to me because I just don't believe like that. That's, that's easy. It's easy to be lazy like that. It's hard. Test it. Check it against Scripture and to see what it says. And yet, check it against Scripture is what we must do. Let me give you three reasons why we must check everything against Scripture. Number one... False teachers do exist. It would be nice to say that everybody who preaches Jesus is preaching the same Jesus we are. It would be great to say you can just go into any Christian bookstore and pick up any book in any section and it will teach you how to live for Jesus. That's just not the truth. Jesus explains to us that false teachers will come in like wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to look and act and speak and sound as much like Christians as they possibly can. Paul says that they're going to be like appear like angels of light, and they're really ministers of Satan. Now, the sad fact is, there are false teachers teaching false doctrine that will lead people to hell on virtually every Christian radio station in America that has preaching on it. Virtually every Christian bookstore you go into is going to have some books that are going to have false doctrine. That are not different in, in minor things, but we're talking differences in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Right? Significant differences that make the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. So what do we do? Just not listen to anybody? Not read any books? Well, and we can. Again, we, we can do that. Or, we can put forth the effort and test all things against Scripture. That's what we're supposed to do. Never blindly believe. Never just out of hand reject. Test it against Scripture. Another reason is that godly preachers can be wrong. You know, I, I never step into the pulpit just having made stuff up. But I don't just like download something off the internet and throw it together and when I get it in the pulpit hope it's right. I don't just, you know, I've got a full string of notes. I don't just ever get up here and just make stuff up as I go along and hope it all works out in the end. Every time I preach, I've studied for several hours. I've spent several hours preparing a message. And, and I don't mean this to sound arrogantly, I think I'm right. I get up to preach, and I'm convinced that what I'm saying is true, that the application I'm giving is sound, that what I'm saying is consistent with all of Scripture, and I'm not taking anything out of context. Truly, I believe that. The fact of the matter is, I'm just a guy. I've been called by God. 
I've been enabled by God. And I'm filled with the Spirit of God to preach the Word of God. But I can still be wrong. And in there, I can think of at least two times when I have studied a passage, prepared the sermon, got up to preach, and as I was reading it in the middle of the message, I realized I was wrong in something I had said. Something I had planned to preach and had to make adjustments to what I was going to preach on the fly. That's why nobody gets to see my notes. Um, right. And then I can think of at least two times when I've preached something. And afterwards somebody in the church came up and said, well, what about this? Turns out I was wrong. I had made a statement about something. And because somebody else knew the Bible, they saw that I was mistaken. Again, I never planned to be wrong. I never like, let's see if I can just sleep this one by people. It'll be easier that way. But no preacher is inspired by God in this day. Not, not like the apostles were. Anyone that teaches or preaches the Bible, hopefully they put forth their due diligence to study. But even with that, they could be wrong. So godly preachers can be wrong, so we have to test it for ourselves. Thirdly, godly Christians can be wrong. Preachers aren't the only ones who can be wrong about things. And if you have an idea about what the Bible says and somebody preaches something that goes against that, do you know that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong and you're right? Really, it doesn't. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're right and you're wrong. The fact of the matter is, you have just as much a chance to be wrong as I do. That There's no guarantee that what you believe is perfectly right. There's no guarantee that you have everything all locked down. So if something contradicts what you believe, you don't just get to say, well, that's just not what I believe. I've got it all locked down. I know everything. The preacher's wrong, not me. Instead, what do you do? You test it against Scripture and see what's right. I mean, that is, that is the key to everything. For us to get to the place where we say, you know what, I've got it all locked in. And if something challenges what I believe, or it calls on me to do something I don't want to do, I'm just going to say I don't believe that way. You know what that is? That is pride. And that is just arrogance. It is pride for any of us to say, we have it all locked down. There is no way. God's word, so vast, so deep, so amazing, that there is no one who has it all locked down. Not me, not you, not the dude on the radio, not the guys writing commentaries, not the folks in Scott that are teaching in seminaries. Nobody does. For me to just dismiss anything out of hand simply because it disagrees with what I believe, that's just pride. Secondly, if we have been proven that what we believe is wrong, right? Scripture says this, and we're like, well, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't believe like that. That's just stubbornness. Prideful stubbornness is a sin. It is sinful to be that way. Every one of us have to hold on to what we believe tightly, but with the willingness to change if we're wrong. Because at any point, any one of us can be wrong. And what that requires of us to do is to put forth the hard effort of studying the Bible for ourselves. Search the scripture to see if what's taught is true. Never believe anyone blindly. Not me, not anyone. Always test it against scripture. Hold fast to what is true. Abstain from what's wrong. 
So my response to Scripture, it demonstrates my commitment to Christ. And a commitment to Christ begins with a commitment to His Word. A commitment to study it. A commitment to follow it. A commitment to search it out for myself. I mean, how, how committed am I really to the author of Scripture if I'm not willing to test what someone says about Scripture against Scripture? Not very. Commitment to Christ begins... The commitment to Scripture, to study it and to test it out for ourselves. Secondly, let Scripture break you. You know, one of the the truths about the Bible is that the Bible is not given just for information. The Bible is given for transformation. There is something that God has in mind for us to be. And that is to be like Jesus. That is God's ultimate purpose for all of our lives. And that requires change. Not just information, but change. Now, what should happen is new information leads to change in our lives. But that new information that's going to change our lives, sometimes it's going to sting. At times, God is going to reveal to us that things we thought were right were wrong. He is going to reveal to us that attitudes we have are not Christ-like and acceptable. He is going to deal with us from Scripture. And what do we do in that time? And I think, I think it's important that we all know. Right? There, there should always be times in our life where we are either studying the Bible or we are hearing the Bible preached or taught And there's just a suddenly, we know we're wrong. We know things in our life are not as they should be. There are attitudes we have that are sinful. There are things we're not doing that we should be doing. There's just an an awareness of the fact, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And that should be for all of us, right? None of us are exempt unless, unless you're already just like Jesus, right? And if you are just like Jesus, then you are exempt. But otherwise, Otherwise, there's always work to be done. There's always stuff to be dealt with. And so God is going to work on us through that. And He works through His Word. Super familiar passage. For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from His sight. But all things are naked and open in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I love that description of the Bible. That description of God's word shows us how it works in our lives. First, he says, it's living and powerful. And that's, what that means to us is, the Bible, while it meant something to those who originally heard it, it means something to us today as well. It's not... It's not just a book. It is not a dead letter. It is living and active. It is powerful and working in all of our lives. Every time you read the Bible, every time we hear the Bible preached, every time we study it for ourselves, God is working in us through His Word and through His Spirit. And what He's doing is, He is piercing us. With a two-edged sword. To the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Because it's a discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And what that means is, God's word not only deals with us about the stuff that we do that's wrong. It deals with us with the attitudes that we have. Right? The, the things that we think and we never even say. 
Many of you have ever had a time, I mean, I'm sure if you've been in church long, you've read the Bible much, you've had times where you read something and you have done this, and the Bible says, thou shalt not, and you're just like, man, it's terrible, I need to change. Or you've had times where you didn't do something, the Bible said, thou shalt, and you said, oh, I need to change. And that's expected, the outward stuff. But to me, what is the inward testimony of the fact that the Bible is the Word of God is when I have thought something. I didn't even tell Kelly what I thought. Right? It was in my head. And I, went, and I was going and suddenly I read in the Bible and it's like, this is sin. And it's like, oh, killing me here. Right? The Bible working in the middle. Right? Not, not just on the outward actions, but on the inward stuff to bring outward change. See, the Bible isn't meant to be a a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a matter of go through there and find a ten list of things you're supposed to do and not do and check your box. No. The Bible brings transformation into our lives by dealing with our hearts where real transformation and real change occurs. And then it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. How is it that God's Word can speak so clearly into our lives so many times? Dina has teased me before asking me if I followed her around taking notes on the things that she's doing and saying. And again, you've probably had that experience too. I remember my preacher at Fort Gibson, I used to think that all the time. I mean, I would go out during the week and do something, think something, act like something, and lo and behold, that was the thought of his sermon for the next week, and it was just like, oh, killing me. How is it that that can happen? It's because God knows what we do. It's because God knows what we think. It's because God knows who we are deep down at the core of our being. And it's not the preacher that makes the word effective in our lives. It's not the teacher that makes the word effective in our lives. It's not even our reading of the word that makes it effective in our lives. It is God who takes it. It is God who says, I know that thought you had. Change it. I know that attitude you carry. Fix it. I know your self-righteousness. Humble yourselves. I know your selfishness. Give of yourself. God knows us for who we truly are. And He is able to take His Word and deal in our hearts in mighty and powerful ways. And this is something that is always going to happen. As long as you live in this world... And you follow Christ. He is going to work through His Word to change you. He will never be content to leave you as you are. He will never be content until you reflect Him perfectly. And since that will not happen in this life, He will always, always, always be at work in your life. And what we have to do is we have to let, we have to let Scripture break us. When The conviction comes. We must let it sink in. We must see it as God who is speaking to us. You know, if I come to you and if I say, you're no good at your job and I think you need to change. If you have any sense, you're going to tell me to go jump in in the lake. right? If you just up and do it, you have problems. Because I have no authority over you. I don't even know what you do in your job, much less how to do it properly. But if your boss comes to you, Your boss that has done your job before and says you're not doing your job right, here's a better way to do it. You would be a fool to ignore them. In the same way, 
When God comes to us and says, this is wrong in your life. This is the God who knows all things. This is the God who knows what's right and what's wrong. Who knows who you are and what you can do and what you can be. You're a fool. I'm a fool. To ignore him. And not to let scripture break us. Very little in our life shows a commitment to Christ. Like letting the word have such a powerful impact on our life. That it breaks our heart. For our attitudes and actions that are not as they should be. So first you want to test all things against scripture. Thirdly you want to let scripture break you. And then finally you want to submit to the authority of scripture. Because once scripture has broken us we have to decide how we're going to respond don't we. We're, We're convicted by it. God has revealed to us we're doing something that's not right. We're not doing something that is right. How do we respond? I think scripture shows us three possible responses. One is anger and rebellion. It is possible, and it happens, that some people, when they're convicted of their sin from scripture, or something in their life that's not as it should be, they become angry and rebellious against that. We see this in the book of Acts. Stephen has been called to give an account for preaching about Jesus. They ask him to explain what he's been doing. Stephen takes the long way about and begins to tell them about the life of Abraham and God's calling and choosing of the nation of Israel. At the very end of it, he can see that they're not responding and so he calls them uncircumcised in heart. Worst insult you could possibly give to a Jewish guy. It's like calling somebody text. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say to somebody. And they get infuriated. And here's how they respond. Now, one thing important to notice, because we'll look at this again in a second. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Right? It's not that they were just mad. Right? It's not that Stephen called them stupid and said their wives were ugly. They were, they were convicted, cut to the heart. That means Scripture had done its job. Right? It had pierced and divided soul and morrow and their thoughts and their intents. They knew he was right. And they knew they were wrong. And in that moment, in that conviction, it says they gnashed at him with their teeth. And they cried out with a loud voice. And they stopped their ears. And they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city. And they stoned him. (laughs) They really didn't like what he had to say. And for the record, if you get angry and rebellious, I'm opposed to that way of dealing with it right there. For the record. Um, But some people, that's how they respond to conviction. Right? Rather than saying, oh gosh, I've sinned and I'm not living like God wants me to do. Who do you think you are saying that? You're just meddling. Who do you think you are, nosy? You shouldn't, you should just preach about Jesus, not get down in stuff like this. I hate that preacher. I ain't ever going back to that church again. Bunch of legalists, judgmental. I hate Christian church people like that. I'm just going to go have a relationship with Jesus and live in my sin. That's how some people respond. And that's a, It's a way you can respond when the Holy Spirit has dealt with you about something. That's a response. Another one is apathy. Some people just don't care. They just don't care one bit. You've talked to them and the Bible speaks to what they're doing. and and I mean, it's just clear that it's wrong. They could care less. We see this in in the book of Ezekiel. He said, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and one of the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another. Everyone's saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Now, that right there sounds good, right? Here's what they're saying. Ezekiel's preaching the gospel. He's preaching God's word. He's going out and he's saying, thus says the Lord to you folks. And they're like, hey, 
the prophets preaching the word of the Lord. Let's go hear what he has to say. That sounds good. Um, So they come to you as people do. And they sit before you as my people and they hear your words. Now, again, this all sounds rough. They, they come and they, they hear and they're like my people. They're like, we're, we're the people of God. Speak, speak for God. Tell us what God has to say. And again, it all sounds right. And they hear your words. They do not do them. For their mouths they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. They hear your words, but they do not do them. You see, Ezekiel was entertainment for them. They would go listen to Ezekiel preach, and it was like, Amen, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Were you going to turn from your adulteries and your sin? Oh, not a chance, but good job saying it. Very excellent speaking, rise and flexion of your voice. Perfect, Ezekiel, that was great. I like the way you got down with thus saith the Lord, everything was good. Right? It was, they, they never had any intention of doing what God wanted them to do. They never had any intention of turning from their sin. They never had any intention of actually bringing their lives into conformity to God's will. Instead, they were, they were like checking a box. Well, I guess we're supposed to go hear the prophet today. I better go. Box checked. I'm faithful to the Lord. And there's people in our, our world today. That's how they respond. Come to church because, you know, they're supposed to. I mean, if you don't check in every so often, people start to talk and you can't have that. So they come and, and, and they listen and nod their head and, yeah, that's right. And, and there's something in their lives that's not right that the Bible speaks about and it deals them about that. But, but they're not going to change. I mean, they don't care. They don't care. Nope, not convicted. Nope, really don't care if I have a change. Nope, I see what you're saying. That is what the Bible says. Don't care. Completely apathetic. You know, I have, I have preached a message on a specific sin. It was just because I was preaching it in that particular passage. Someone came to church who was living in that particular sin. And they walked out and said, Good message. And went on in their sin. I had never in my life seen anything like that before. They knew what they were doing was wrong. They knew that the Bible spoke against it. They could have cared less. Responsive apathy. I just don't care. And then, there's the response of brokenness, repentance, and obedience. In the book of Acts... Peter and the apostles are waiting on the promise of the Father to come. And they're praying. The Holy Spirit comes and a crowd gathers. Peter stands up to preach what is basically the first gospel message of the church. And he preaches about Jesus and his crucifixion and why it was significant. And that he came to save people. And at the end of the message, the people responded. And look at what they said. And when we heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, remember, we've heard that phrase before. Right? Again, it's not that they were mad, they were convicted. The Holy Spirit used the Word of God to deal in their hearts and they knew that what Peter said was right. They knew that they were wrong and God was right. And look at how they responded. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know what they're asking him? How do I fix this? You've convinced me I'm wrong. What do I need to do to be right? They were broken over their sin. 
they had crucified the Messiah. They were repentant. They were willing to turn from their unbelief and their sin. And do whatever it was God wanted them to do. Let me ask you. Which of those three do you think demonstrates a commitment to Jesus Christ? If you said anger and apathy, you weren't paying attention. This is the only response that demonstrates a commitment to Jesus Christ. Commitment to Jesus Christ says, I'm wrong. The word of God is right. What do I do to make it better? How can I bring my life into conformity to Jesus Christ? This this is the only response to God's word that demonstrates that we are truly committed to Christ. Several years ago, I heard a guy preach. And he he did an illustration that I want to kind of do today. He turned in his Bible to passages that he knew people had problems obeying that they didn't like. Like this one, Luke 9.23. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Follow me. And he said, but we don't, we don't want to do that. And so he tore that page out of his Bible. And then he tossed it down front. And then he, he read from Philippians. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. But he said, we don't want to be selfless. We prefer to be selfish. So he tore that out of his Bible. And he wadded it up. And he tore it down and tossed it down front. And then he read from Colossians. And he said, therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Ah, but we don't want to bear with each other because we get on each other's nerves. And we don't want to forgive people, so let's just tear that one out too. And he tore that out of his Bible and he tossed it down front. And then he said, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or a necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. But we don't want to be generous givers. We'd rather spend everything on ourselves. So let's just tear that out and throw it away. And he went on and on like that for a little while. And now personally, I could never myself to actually tear up a Bible and toss it up front. But I thought about that. What a, I mean, that must have been a, quite an object lesson. And we would say, well, that's disrespectful to the Bible. But think about it. If I'm really not going to do it, I just as well tear it out and throw it away. Because it doesn't do any more good that way, does it? I mean, just because I have it in my Bible and I haven't torn the page out, doesn't mean I'm actually doing it. If I'm not going to do it, I just as well make myself a Jefferson Bible. 
go through with a pen knife and cut out all the stuff I don't like and tear it away. Many times, the only difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that unbelievers are honest. Unbelievers don't believe the Bible is the word of God, so they feel no obligation whatsoever to do what it says. We claim to believe the Bible is the word of God. And when we don't do what it says, we're really not any different than they are other than the words that we're speaking. It is really hard to take anyone's claim to be committed to Christ seriously when they only obey the parts of God's word that they want to obey. It is really hard to take anyone's claim to be committed to Christ and His word seriously when they see obedience to Scripture as optional. It's your response to God's word well, it does demonstrate something about your commitment to Christ, but, but what does it demonstrate about your commitment to Christ? Let's stand as our musicians come forward.